welcome to the Rural Revival Podcast. I'm your host, Dana Larson. Today we're with Julia Blaine of Strong Arm Baking in Oxford, North Carolina. Julia's sharing how it all started with a wood oven and a side hustle at both the farmer's market and with a bread share program and has since turned into a booming brick and mortar with over 68 employees. We also discuss the power of an email list, a recognizable brand, and creating small town experiences. Julia and her husband Thomas are proof that you really don't have to have it all figured out. You just have to start and take it one step at a time. So here we go with Julia Blaine. All right, well, we're here with Julia Blaine of Strong Arm Bakery in Oxford, North Carolina. Julia, thanks for being on the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Nice to be here. Yeah, it's great to be in Oxford. Tell us a little bit about you. Is this your hometown? This is my hometown, yes. So um, I I grew up here, and uh, my husband and I went to high school together, though he was not my husband at the time, obviously. Um, and then we both went our separate ways and um, kind of accidentally ended up back here um I guess just for a little while was the plan (laughs) (laughs) and then that it just turned into something else you had quite um a journey before coming back here tell us about some of the fun experiences that you got to have sure um when I graduated college I um I had met some people during a study abroad session when I was in college from Spain. And so when I graduated college, I just went over there for a little while. And then I ended up staying for quite some time. I lived there for around three years. And, um, and then during that time, Thomas, my husband was in the Marine Corps. And so he was serving some time there with in Afghanistan and, um, and Iraq. And so it just so happened that when he was looking to get out of the Marine Corps, I I started thinking about maybe going home and ending my time abroad. And so we just kind of met up to see if anything was going to happen. And then um, we just kind of stayed locally for a little while and tried to figure out where we were going to end up. And we traveled around and we did a couple road trips across the United States and just worked odd jobs all the time and um, worked really hard and then spent all our money and then worked really hard and then spent all our money. <laughs> yeah. um, and then we came back to the house that we live in now just as like a place to stay for a little while just to put some stuff while we figured out what we were going to do um and then while we were there we my husband built a wood-fired oven for kind of for fun and just to see um at that time I had been working in some bakery jobs in Durham and um and Cary and so we built the wood-fired oven to play but also just like as a side hustle um and then we didn't even realize it but we we thought we would move away or go somewhere else but then we just didn't. <laughs> <laughs> One thing led to another. Right. Um, so is it true that Strong Arm Bakery actually started at a farmer's market? Um, it did, yeah. We we started out of our home. We had that, we built that wood-fired oven, and then I was working a full-time job, and Thomas was working a full-time job in land management. And on Tuesday night, Wednesday was my day off at work, and on Tuesday night we would stay up all night and, like, make pastries and cookies and breads, and um, and then we would go sell it this Wednesday. Wednesday markets are typically, like, really small markets. Um, they're, like, where farmers go to sell the stuff they couldn't sell on Saturdays. or um, But midweek markets work really well for people just trying to get started. So that was the very first one. It was, like, a, de- a downtown Raleigh 
farmer's market on Wednesdays. I think it might still be going on, but I'm not sure. And it went really well, um, but it, it was good because it let us keep our, our jobs, essentially, and just play around. And then a woman in Oxford um, that she doesn't live here anymore, but she used to own, like, a gift shop on, on a corner in Oxford. Um, and she said, well, you know, you can set up here sometime and sell some stuff. And I'm like, well, nobody in Oxford's going to buy anything <laughs> that I want to make. Um, and so... I thought about like, okay, well, maybe we could add on another day. So maybe we'd do Thursday. We could bake again on Wednesday night since the wood-fired oven would still be hot. We could like keep it going and then do another bake on Thursday. So we started um, a bread share program, and it was supposed to be like modeled like a CSA. So yeah. like um, farmers, you know, maybe for $25 a month, you get a box every month of vegetables or whatever. So that was supposed to be like – well, I don't know if anybody from Oxford is going to buy this bread in the first place, and I don't want to make it all and throw it away. So if anybody wants to sign up and pay $25 a month, then we'll bring you a loaf of bread every Thursday. And you'll get, like, you know, one lo- one loaf of bread a week, and that way you don't have to buy your bread from the grocery store, you know. Yeah. So we did that, and, um, and we had eight people sign up, which was awesome. We were really excited yeah. about that. <laughs> um, and so we would set up in the basement on – Thursday afternoons at four o'clock and the eight people would come and they pay at the beginning of the month and every week we would give them their loaf of bread um and it grew a little bit like maybe 12 people and then it dropped back down to nine people or so but the truth is the bread was really not very good at all (laughs) because (laughs) um it was a wood-fired oven and so if you like if you don't catch the temperature just right right you have you're baking this bread and you need for the bread to rise and develop because it's all sourdough. So it's all dependent on the weather. And there's only, you know, water, flour, salt. Um, there's nothing else in the bread. So, you, you like, you you need to give it the time. But at the same time, you can't just turn the oven on and off. So you're, like, getting it really hot. And then you wait for the temperature to come down and then put the bread in. So it's hard to catch it. It was a, It's a really difficult thing to do. Um, I don't ever want to do it again. (laughs) But so we would, a lot of the times we would bring the bread and it would be like either really burned um, or like not quite, you know, not quite cooked. And so sometimes we would give the people their loaf of bread and their (laughs) $6.50 because we had to give them something. But, um, and, but those, the eight people stuck with us. That was like the same eight people and they were super forgiving and they like wanted they wanted it to work. They liked the idea. Um, and then we, one day we brought, like, a pan of cinnamon rolls. And we were like, well, let's make a pan of cinnamon rolls. So we made, like, eight, 12 cinnamon rolls, something. And I couldn't be there that day, so I just left them on the table with a jar and said $4 and put the money in the jar if you want one. And, and they were, the next day I came back, and they were all gone, and the jar had, like, you know, some money in it. It was really exciting. <laughs> And then we were like, well, we'll make more pastries. And that's how, you know, slowly we would make a little bit more stuff. And then we would get really busy. And then I maybe went down to four days a week at my job. And then Thomas would come home from work. And then we would stay up all night and do this stuff. And um, and when it was just, like, really hustling. And then we got into a Saturday farmer's market 
Um, and those Saturday markets are pretty big and busy, so we'd have to, like, prep all week. Um, so I had to leave my job so I could, like, really focus on that. And then when we had, you know, the Wednesday market, the Thursday market, the Saturday market, it got to where, like, okay, we can't – we need more help. I need to hire somebody. And then Thomas – at the same time, he had been working towards getting this really solid land management job that he had been wanting, and he got the offer that he was going to get the job. And then he said, I don't think I want to take the job. I think maybe I'll just do this with you. <laughs> wow. Like, That's not a good idea because <laughs> we need health insurance and, right. you know, stability, and we can't get two people's livings off of a bakery. Um, and so we, you know tossed it around for a while and that's what he decided he wanted to do that and um so he let he quit his job as well and then wow. we just went full in and um for maybe the first two or two and a half to three years it was just the two of us and we would work where we're just working all the time in our house and um selling at the markets and then we hired one high schooler to come and wash dishes on Saturday morning that was a real game changer <laughs> because we would bake everything and then we would each go to a market and then we would come home and we would have been up all night. We would get home at 1 p.m. and the house would be, you know, wrecked. And then we would wash dishes until 4 or 5 p.m. And then our friends would call and say, do you want to hang out? And we'd say, no way. <laughs> we do not want to hang out with anybody. So um, yeah. it was just work. It was just work all the time. And then. Wow. Um, yeah. So I have to imagine it. Did it just take over your house? Yeah, it did. It was, um, we still live in that house, and but it was a, it's a three-bedroom ranch home. And um, the way the house is set up is, it used to be a country store, so it's like just one long hallway from one end to the other and then some rooms off the sides. And um, the one of the bedrooms, we had ripped up all the carpet and put in um, like washable floors and put a couple machines back there and some refrigerator space. Uh, and then the whole hallway, which was like, is the kitchen. We just filled in all the holes everywhere with like bins and storage containers and pans and um, ripped out cabinets and like built more workspace. And we had this nice like sunroom area and there was like a double stack convection oven that we had to take the doors off the house to get inside. And um, we had a patio, like a little patio outside. We had a walk-in refrigerator put on the patio and we would roll racks out there to put in there at night um it just it when we left the house to move into the building that we're in now um there we were using the living room and the dining room as like staging for the finished product and we also had um two babies at the time so oh we were goodness. like <laughs> 11 full-time employees and we were working around the clock really every seven days a week from 4 a.m. to 11 p.m. most times, but sometimes it would go all night, so we would be sleeping, and there would still be other people in the house working. Wow. Um, and I think I always tell people, like, only the employees know that this business is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> only the people that work here really know, um, like, the hustle that, that wow. happens. Wow. So. Do you look back on it now and be like, what were we thinking? Oh, it was just insane. It was like <laughs> totally hadn't planned that out. But um, yeah, when I we I brought a baby home from the hospital and there were two people in my kitchen working and it was just like, hi, here's my baby. And I'll just go to the bedroom. <laughs> it was really hard. 
hard. Yeah. Yeah. Um, wow. Just kind of like sacrificing, sacrificing like the home and privacy for really five or so years. It was a, wow. it was a lot. And now, yeah, I um, I really enjoy being in my house now with like it's all clean and um, everything you know in its place and it's quiet and get to have a separate home life yeah it's so nice yeah oh that's good the commute to work is also really nice yes so at what point did you decide okay we need to find a brick and mortar location and take this out of our home um hmm, I, I don't know if we we never like really planned it out to like what the business is going to be we just you know when we started we didn't have the end goal in sight. Um, so it was just kind of like, just, you know, go along with the ride. And then, you know, we were selling in Durham and Raleigh and Hillsborough. We were selling in these bigger communities, and then we were coming back here and baking. But on Thursday, that bread share program in Oxford turned into this, you know, at first it was the eight people, and they would come in, and it was fine. But after about a year and a half or two years of that, there would be like an hour-long line out the building and um, around the corner. And wow. the woman, um, Julia Stovall, that owned that business, would she would say, Thursday's my best day, that this wow. is like my good sales day. And wow. it was what she, she put beer and wine in there and started, um, she had like drinks for sale and it was like a place to gather, so like the whole community would really come out on Thursday and maybe get some pastries for the weekend, or like they would order a cake or a quiche. Um, and again, we would like we would put our menu up. I don't know Sunday or Monday. We would send an email out. This is what we're making, and then people would respond. Uh, and we had a little notebook, and we would write down, you know, Sharon wants one quiche and two cinnamon rolls or something, and. Um, but then it got to where it was like pages and pages and pages of orders. And we're like, we have to come up with a better system. <laughs> this is not working. <laughs> so it's always, you know, and we're kind of still in that, you know, in that phase of like trying to always trying to come up with a system to meet what we're doing. Um, but really that that Thursday bread share program would be just as good sales wise as the Durham or Hillsborough or Raleigh markets. And so we had this, the thoughts like, okay, we're going to open a brick and mortar. If we're going to do that, if we're going to open a business, where do we put it? We should put it with like a dense population, right? Mm -hmm. Where, where the money is, where people mm -hmm. are going to come out. Um, any normal person would do that. Um, but then on Thursday afternoons, like these people come out and wait in line and they pay $5 and 50 cents for a pastry, which is really expensive. I recognize that. And, and they appreciate it. And they, recognize the quality and they come out and buy it um and they come every week they don't come when they feel like it and I think that's like the aha moment where if we pop up in Durham or Hillsborough those people are not going to be as committed to us we're going to be a luxury item for them sure but they have other options and they can you know they'll go out and get whatever they want but for us here if we're offering it to these people and they've been really investing in us in day one, they're going to show up <laughs> and they just consistently showed up. Wow. Um, so it's really like, is Oxford the best place to put a business? Maybe it, maybe it is, maybe it isn't, but the community was like, you know, 
we appreciate the product. We want this. And they, they made that loud and clear by always supporting us. So I love that. Yep. <laughs> so what made you decide on the location that you're at now? Um, well, so we started like brainstorming like places where to put a business. And I, I guess we looked at a lot of different options. Um, but there, ha- during that time, there were like a lot of empty buildings in downtown Oxford. Um, and they're beautiful. They're like these they old are. buildings. From, yeah. I think our building is like from 1890. Wow. Um, and they at the time when we were first looking at them you know they were just giving them away (laughs) wow they were just so um so cheap but even them being so cheap we still didn't have any money (laughs) so (laughs) it didn't really matter how cheap they were um but we were also looking at them like well these are really big buildings we can't fill these up like we don't need this much space you know we're all we're in our house we're using maybe a thousand square feet like we don't need that much space yeah um so when we looked at our building, it was kind of like, well, we don't, this is way too big for us. This is, it's um, two stories plus a basement and the main level is almost 4,000 square feet and then the upstairs is 3,000 square feet um, and the basement and it's just, we didn't, we didn't think we would ever need that much space. And so how do you, how do you put a business in that giant building and make it feel small and quaint and match the community? Um it didn't, we looked at a lot of places, and that building ended up being the best bet, and so we just kind of went for it. Um, and it was also like we had the option to purchase that building because it was affordable. Um, we would have never been able to own a space in Durham or Hillsboro, and we probably would have stayed up at night trying to think about making the rent payments. Yeah. Um, so our, you know, our building payment is our rent payment. And at the end of the time, we'll own it, which mm-hmm. is really awesome. Um, and it connects us to the community in a different way, right? And we're not going to up and leave. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So while we were baking in our house, we were a farmer's market and coffee shop business. Okay. So we delivered, we had some wholesale accounts that um, we had gotten like one by one. We maybe had... 12 or 15 coffee shops that we delivered to three times a week and Saturdays or something. Yeah. And then we went to the Saturday market and had our bread share. Um, and that was the full business, right? And so um, when we started listening to the news, probably in December, we were thinking, ooh, wee, this, you know, what if, what if this went really crazy? You know, then <laughs> where would we sell? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and but that time, like in around in December, we had started construction on this building. Okay. And so um, the construction was going, and we were supposed to be in the building by somewhere between March to June. Um, and so then in February, it's like this could really happen. <laughs> um, we started getting really serious about our email lists, and so when we would go to these farmers markets or like anywhere. We would just like be hounding people for their emails, um, and really, we only had probably about ten days to two weeks to do that. Um, and we built up a good solid list, and then, and then before everything shut down, we just kind of said, 
hey, we're not coming anymore. Um, but we'll, or we'll, you know, we'll, we'll bring it to your house. We'll take it. We'll bring it to your house. (laughs) In hindsight, I'm like, how are we going to do that? But, um, that was smart thinking though, with the email list and wow. Yeah. So then our last week attending the market, they hadn't even made the decisions to close the markets, but we told all our customers, you know, we're gonna, we're not coming. Um, but we'll be in touch with you and you'll, we'll still supply you. And so then, then maybe 10 days after that, we had this list and my husband was just um, up all night. He built like this wet, the, a website where people could order online. Wow. And, um, and then we sent that first email out like the next Sunday after the market saying, here's our menu. <laughs> if you want anything, we'll bring it to you thinking like, okay, if we could get like 50 people to order, then we'll be able to keep our staff. Yeah. And then we'll have something to do. Uh-huh. Um, and so we put the, that first menu out. And then I think that same week, everything just shut down like wow. really hard. And then, um, people just started ordering like crazy. And I think the the very first menu that we posted, we were like watching it and it was like, ping, 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 ping. And we were like, turn it off, turn it off, turn it off. And we just turned the whole system off. And then we were like, oh my gosh, we're not, this is, <laughs> this is crazy. Um, and I don't know how many it was, a couple hundred or something, but it was like, it was a lot. Yeah. And so we had told our employees the week before, like, guys, we're going to try it. We're going to see what happens. Like, you know, just stick with us. We're, we'll see. And then the next week, it's just like, yeah, come to work. Get here now. We got stuff to do, you know. And um, at the same time, a lot of my friends have been let go at their restaurant jobs of places that just, like, shut down and closed yeah. the doors. So we had delivery drivers. So Amazing. They um, were like, we, we know, we need somebody on Thursday. We need somebody on Saturday. And they would come and run these routes. And, um, and that kept them employed, essentially, or they would come and pack for us. Um, and so we got... In fact, like we, we started this porch drop home delivery, which we still do. Um, but that was our busiest time was actually in our home. And we were like making, making all the food. And then it's pretty awesome because we would make the super fresh stuff and then leave the house with it. And people were like struggling all week. And then Saturday mornings, they would get like a box of warm pastries, like fresh, you know, like right on your porch. And it's like, man, (laughs) people were like, yeah, this is awesome. And we were like, this is awesome, you know? (laughs) Um, And I still feel that way. Like we still offer the porch shop and I'm still like, guys, you could order yourself pastries for Saturday and your week will be so much better. You have something to look forward to. Now we do like meals and salads and um, just like fresh vegetables, just fresh baked bread and we drop it on people's porches still so it's um not that was never a part of the business plan but it was kind of born of that COVID time and it kept us afloat um and it's still like a really strong part of our our business now that's so cool so when did you actually open your doors then to the brick and mortar did that delay your opening um it did not really delay okay. anything uh in, f- in fact really when we looked back on it it was just all such a blessing because we had no idea what we were doing and so people weren't expecting us to like open the doors and be perfect they were just like oh wow you're still gonna be here and it's like okay this is this very forgiving customer base (laughs) (laughs) Um, which is a really luxurious thing to have Mm -hmm. like a committed forgiving customer base Um, and so they showed up and like you know it looks a mess in there and it's just kind of crazy and 
we don't know what we're offering. We don't have a menu. Uh, <laughs> just trying to piece it together. And they're just like, thanks so much for being here. We'll just buy, you know, buy what you have. Um, and so we were able to kind of like just do what we want and like not feel the pressure of having to be perfect, um, which I feel like today still people walk in and like our office is in the dining room. We don't have really have an office. We're just sitting at a table. So I, I hear what customers say, even though they have no idea that I'm, I own the place. Yeah, right. And a customer was sitting beside me the other day and we're like, they really need to get all these boxes out of here, <laughs> all these pie boxes and we have shelves of boxes that are folded that we fill up and send out, but we don't have a place to put them. So they yeah. just take up the dining room. And then we have like pallets of flour that are just in the dining room. We don't have a place to put them. Um, so it's like, it's not a perfect place. It's very much like we're making this work and it's fine. Uh, but customers often are like, what is going on in here? <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, our like core base understands that because they've been driving out to our house to pick stuff up and they know the that what you see on the surface is like the tip of the iceberg of what we're doing and so when customers come in to get a sandwich and a pastry they don't understand why it, it's like looks like that it's because we're like busting at the seams we don't have any space we have wow. a like a 28 foot refrigerator trailer out back because the walk-ins are all full um People are packing cookies in the dining room because there's no place for them to pack them elsewhere. And good problem to have. It's a good problem to have. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's amazing. So you now employ over 50 people. Is that right? Mm -hmm. That's incredible. Yeah. Is that hard to comprehend? Um. Yeah, I guess it is. I had not. I. Uh, yeah, I had not planned for that. And we didn't, like I said, yeah. we really had not planned this business out. And we're still like in this planning phase where we're like trying to figure out where are we going? What are we doing? And um, and this is really a lot of people. And like um, we have another commissary space. And those it's it's currently, as of today, 68 people. And we're I need to hire three more people right now. Wow. Um, but we also, like, we don't really have turnover problems. We, like, really retain our folks. And so we're not – I think the 68 people would be totally crushing and overwhelming to me, except for the fact that the people that are there are just so wonderful and they, they're not going anywhere and they are committed and they are committed to doing their job well. And so that's like the saving grace. It's like, I don't have to stay up at night wondering if so-and-so is going to show up or like if they leave, who am I going to get? Or I'm not like constantly hiring um, because it's filled and working. Yeah. Um, so we're, we do everything we can to like maintain that calm level of yeah. san like yeah. sanity really in the workplace. That's so good. What does it mean to you to be able to bring this business and jobs and even um, serve tourists coming in and do be able to do all that in your hometown? Um, well, I guess like those eight people <laughs> that used to buy the burned bread and not talk trash about it to their <laughs> friends. <laughs> um, though they really, we didn't have any money to start the business. Um, like we bought that, we, we built the wood oven which we did that over maybe six months and 
so we, you know, used every paycheck. We would put a little bit towards that oven. And then we bought a big mixing bowl and a rolling pin and a couple sheet pans. It was like less than $100, right? And so we never took out any loans until we moved into the building. Um, we always just kind of grew like very incrementally. Um, but it was also like, it was because those same Oxford people were showing up and um, really supporting us, you know, like ordering from us um, and just like thinking about our business, like really thinking about it. And, you know, like this, I remember this elderly woman came one day to pick up her bread and she's like, you don't have a label. Like if I take this home and serve it to my friends, no one knows where it came from. It's really good, but you're not, you're not even trying to sell it to me. And I'm like, oh, we need labels. And she's like, you really need labels. It's just like people offering their advice and telling me like, this was not good. You know, this, we had this pastry, it was dry, you know, with them coming back and like giving me that feedback. Okay. We got to do better. We have to like make, make sure we're not making mistakes. Like I think when people think about like rural communities, there is the expectation that the people there don't want a quality item because they don't have one. But that's totally opposite. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They don't have a quality item. That doesn't mean they don't want one or respect it or recognize it. And you're not even giving them the chance (laughs) by assuming that you don't want to put your business there. Um, And that's something that we've been reminded of over and over again. Like, I, I, no one would call us like a cheap place to eat. Um, and we used to get hounded for our prices a lot, but we don't really as much anymore because I think people recognize like where the food is coming from. We buy locally, you know, the eggs are local. Um, the milk and the cream are local. That's super expensive to Mm do. I think most of all, even if people don't realize we're doing that, they taste it and they're like, dang, this is good. (laughs) (laughs) This tastes really good. There's a reason it tastes really good, right? right? It's because it's like, it's quality. It's top of the line. Everything, every ingredient that went in it is the best we can buy. And we're paying attention to making it, you know? Um, And like Oxford is the same as all these other small communities. People live here because they like live, they like living, you know, maybe in the country or like in a quieter place. That doesn't mean they don't like, like, like nice things. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like the same, like our the wallpaper in our bathrooms is kind of fancy and feels really good. And I hope our space feels like really nice to people. Well, it's because people like to be in nice places. Yeah. Just because you're in a rural community doesn't mean that people don't want to feel that those same ways. Um, so I think it's been fun to like provide that and watch people like have that same revelation like yeah yeah I do deserve this Uh (laughs) I do want to be here and I do want to eat this good food yeah um just because it's in my small town doesn't mean that it's not on the competing level with anybody in Raleigh or Durham right I also I I wanted to tell you about um I guess like in between before COVID um somewhere like when we would do the bread share pop-ups we got we got this one employee and he was our fourth employee. Um, 
And so, well, we had like somebody washing dishes and then we had a woman that we hired to help us with pastry. But when we were still in our, in our home, we got this employee that came from a very like wonderful, I think maybe the best restaurant in this whole area, which is Panchuto in Hillsboro. Um, that they are the kind of food that they make is what everybody says they're doing, but isn't actually doing right. Like 95% of what they're serving to you on a plate, like is coming from these tiny farms and the meats, the vegetables, the dairy, everything that they do. It's like the dream of how you want to make food, but they're actually doing it. Um, so that's like always my number one place to talk about. And, um, a man that had been working there as their chef for 10 years was looking to transfer to, he wanted early morning hours. And so he started working for us um, as a baker, but he's, you know, he's not really cut out to be a baker. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But he is like a super talented chef. And so somewhere during that time, like around the four or five employee stage, we started doing these pop-up dinners in Oxford. And that was another like step along the way that that made us kind of realize like what Oxford is missing there aren't there at the time which I guess was probably five or six years ago there there weren't many places to go eat dinner in Oxford um in fact I probably never we never went to a restaurant to eat dinner in Oxford uh but again that doesn't mean that people don't want to eat at a nice restaurant there just doesn't happen to be one here um and so we would do these pop-up dinners on Saturday night and we would post the tickets up and we would use another restaurant that was a lunch a lunch restaurant in Oxford called Harvest Restaurant and he would let us use his whole restaurant um for the night we would just take over the kitchen and he and the owner James even would come in and wash dishes for us so we would um put these tickets up and sell like 45 seats and take over the restaurant and then uh, we wouldn't even give people a menu they didn't know what they were going to eat um and we would sell the, I, I don't remember how much they cost, maybe 50 bucks or something. It was pretty cheap when I look back. It was like a four-course meal. Uh, and then they could have, we had someone pair the wines um, to the meal if they wanted to add that on. Um, and so we would put the tickets up. And I'm not kidding you, the the like one of the last ones we did, it was like 60 seconds and the tickets were gone wow and we would say we're going to post the tickets at 12 p.m on this day and we would post them and I had some people tell me like they would be pulled over on the side of the road like (laughs) ready at 12 p.m to like get these tickets and um and that was also super fun because we would we would make whatever we wanted to make like anything we would come up with the menus like based on what we would get at the farmers markets or like who we could pair up with, um, like where we could get good quality meat, uh, like whatever the meat farmers would have that week. Um, and so we didn't have to commit to anything; we could just do whatever we want. And um, Danny, the chef, we could like let him run wild essentially. Wow. And, um, and Angela, this woman that was working for us too, she was also super interested in like cooking. And so it was, that was kind of like a way to retain those two people. They weren't, neither one of them were bakers, but they were our two employees. We needed them to like feel excited about what we were doing. So we would do these pop-up dinners and they, um, and people would show up and they just loved it. Like we would give them some crazy stuff on a plate and they loved it every time. Like, <laughs> so we would think, you know, another like misconception about like a rural community is like people are picky and they don't want to eat that, you know, it's meat and potatoes, but that is not the case at all. Um, all these people, again, they live here. 
just because they don't live where all that food is doesn't mean they don't really appreciate it. And so we would, you know, serve them um, like whole roasted carrots with hazelnuts and creme fraiche and like baby arugula and, um, and, you know, present it to them and they would just be so appreciative and they would eat every drop and say, this is so good. This is great. You know? And then the next time we would do, we did the dinners once a month. The next time we would post the tickets, it was like, they would just, they just would fly. Um, and that's, kind of like that was a revelation like we're a bakery and we're selling bread and pastries but these people want more they want food they want dinner they want lunch they want breakfast but they want an experience Mm -hmm. too yeah they want to be together around a table they want to see people that they know they want to see people that they don't know they want to talk around a table it's always like you know that always happens around food um they want these experiences to like add to their hometown life, um, and those like pop-up dinners were like a great reminder that our community was more than we thought it was, and more than people expected to be. So. Amazing, and it was fun for everybody. Oh yeah, everybody like the, we loved it. We yeah. loved doing it. You know, even James, the owner of the restaurant, he would you know be washing dishes in the back. What are you guys making this week? <laughs> <laughs> everybody was just so excited because it's just like such a. It was. For Oxford, five years ago, it was a really random thing to have somebody take over somebody else's restaurant. And, you know, just yeah. those are the kind of things I guess you don't you don't necessarily see that kind of collaboration um, all the time in bigger communities where, you know, you don't open the doors to other people like that. And people always open the doors to us. And we're really careful to make sure we're continuing to open the doors for other people that are coming up because if we hadn't been able to get a heads up from several people in our community, then it wouldn't have happened that way. Yeah. One of the things that um, I love about your story, speaking of community, is in 2021, you won $25,000 from a national competition, but you didn't keep the money. And I think that really speaks to your heart. Tell us about that whole experience. Um, well, uh, one of our customers, um, Morio Duke, he wanted to enter us in this competition. It was like, I think it was like a small small business award or small business um, competition. And he really wanted to go after it. And we were like, well, Morio, we don't really, you know, we're not going to do that. <laughs> and he was like, well, I'll do it. I'll do all the work. And he wrote, you know, he wrote the essays and he submitted everything. He really entered us in the competition. Um, okay. We didn't have anything to do with it, really. Okay. Um, and so then they called, the the foundation called him and let him know that we won. And at the time, none of us knew that there were any prizes or anything. And so then... Um, they were trying to get us on the phone to tell us that we won. And we were like, yeah, okay, yes, yeah, whatever. Just <laughs> send us an email or something. We're really busy. <laughs> and then Thomas and I were, like, in the line at the grocery store trying to buy, like, a bunch of something. I don't know. It was like a desperation move. We were, like, trying to at the grocery store. And they called us on the phone. We're like, we really need to talk to you. You know, you won this prize. And we're like, okay, we'll we'll call you when we get back to the van. We're in the grocery store. Line. Yeah. So we hung up on them again. And then we got back to the to our office, which is our minivan, when we put it on speakerphone. <laughs> and they called and we're like, you won this prize. And we're like, okay, thank you. And 
they're like, it comes with the $25,000. And we were like, oh, we didn't, (laughs) (laughs) we did not know that. Um, uh, and so that was really surprising. So then it was fun to hang up and call Mario and be like, Mario, it's a $25,000 prize. And he was like, what? <laughs> Everybody was like, what? This is crazy. It was just kind of surreal. Um, but it was also not money that we expected. And um, it came from our community. It came from our customers being committed to us. Um, and at the same time, Thomas and I have been like, spending some time over at the Boys and Girls Club um, and the leadership team at our local Boys and Girls Club is like really impressive. They're like, again, not a leadership team you might think to find in little old Oxford, right? Uh-huh. They, they like have the capabilities to go big places, uh-huh. um, but they're here like working hard for this community. And we had been over there and they had wanted to do this big renovation, but they were having trouble raising the money for it. And so we we're like, man, we could do that. We could like throw that money over there, but then that doesn't really feel like that much of a contribution because you know they need like a million dollars, not twenty five thousand dollars. <laughs> so um, we had like we came up with this plan, like okay, well we'll stick it to the community. Like if they raise seventy five, then we'll donate the twenty five. And I mean, everybody was like, "You guys are not going to raise a hundred thousand dollars," <laughs> and. Even the people that, like, super support us and are, you know, our top friends were like, okay, guys, that's, <laughs> that is, um, that's ambitious. Uh, but it was, like, Christmas time, and um, it was also a time, like, we, I, I know I personally, like, needed a spirit lift up. Like, the business sometimes gets really crazy, and I sometimes don't feel like I'm the best person to handle all the jobs that I have to do. Um, and it gets like really, you know, it's depressing sometimes to not be able to solve problems on on all, on all fronts. But so that project for me ended up being like something to just take my mind off of like the crazy holiday spirit. And I could just like stalk the donations coming in. And it was super fun to see, um, you know, like little by little, $50, $50, (laughs) $1,000, you know, just like watching it. And, um, I think in the end it was like 119 or 129 something like that thousand dollars that the our customer base like in you know all over the different farmers markets we go to they all contributed to but um, it was really cool <laughs> to That's see amazing to, yeah and just like another lesson of like you know if you if you are one small piece you know you can grow that tiny piece within your community yeah so, so good. Where did the name Strong Arm Bakery come from? Um, When we were, when it was just a side hustle and we were thinking about like what the business might be, um, I did this exercise with Thomas's sister, who's also a good friend of mine. And we sat at the kitchen table and had this stack of post-it notes and we just like wrote down words or thoughts or anything with the idea being like, what do you want people to think about when they think about your business? Or like, what do you think about... um, and when we like looked at the table, um, it there was nothing that said strong arm baking on there, but there were like these, you know, notes that say hard work or like you know no sleep or um, like heavy lifting. And um, I wanted people to realize like when you're walking into our bakery, 
it's not like some frou-frou cupcakes that we just like made this batch for you. Right. Um, no, this is like people that have been here for 12 hours now and they've been up all night and, um, and we've been driving all over the place to get the products that we need. And, uh, um, we're like lifting 50 pound bags of flour and like refilling bins and like shaping the loaves. And it's a physical job. It's super demanding. Um, and a lot of hard work and effort goes into it from a lot of people. And that's what I want people to think about when they think about my business is um, it takes strength. And the people like working here, my team, all the people that work at Strong Arm are just like a super resilient, strong group of people. And their hard work is what like lets you enjoy that perfectly flaky croissant. Um, yeah. So. Very good. <laughs> What advice would you have for people with a growing business needing to hire more employees? Um, I think that's always hard as an entrepreneur. You're so invested personally and hand it over to somebody else can be really hard. So any words of wisdom? Um, I, I don't know. I need that advice myself. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess like what's worked for us is always like maxing out first. Um, which maybe is terrible advice, right? I think other people might be like, that is really terrible advice. But if you're building step by step, little at a time, there's really no risk involved if you're going that slow. So if you're always maxing out your current situation, then you don't really have to second guess yourself on stepping forward. Um, like in the, in the past for us, it's like we started using our home oven and then we ended up buying this like double stack convection oven, which is like, well, that was really painful. That was our first, like, I think it costs $6,900. And that was like all the money that we had to, you know, we, yeah. but we also can't really continue forward baking in our house oven and the wood oven. And so, you know, making that purchase and then it's just like, man, why didn't we do this? Why didn't we do this before? Well, if you're like worried about the investment, you can go at that pace and like hit the wall and then take the next step. And I feel like that's how our business has been for a long time now. And even like currently we are like maxed out at where we are. Um, and so now we're trying to figure out that like, where's our next, we need to get out of the building that we're in <laughs> um, and find like a, the next step. Um, so always like, making sure that the market is there and waiting before we take a next step um, has always been helpful for us. But also just taking like a leap of faith on people. Like when it comes to hiring, every time we've hired someone new that has not ever, the money to hire that person has never been available. Um, that first person that we hired, like a Angela, like our first full-time employee, um, we did not. If you did the math on what we were selling, there was no way we could pay her. But we just, you know, paid her what she needed to make anyways. And she produced the extra product, and it worked. And the same with Danny. When he came along, coming over from Panchuto from 10 years, it was like, we need to pay this man well if we're going to keep him. And there's no way it's going to work, right? But it's just... It does work. It always works if you're like doing things the right way. Yeah. <laughs> and taking care of people and making good business decisions and charging what you need to charge. Um, it always works. So that's 
even today, it's like we need to add on probably some middle management positions. That's something that we've done without. But as our businesses kept growing, um, it's systematically we're struggling in a lot of places because we don't have some of those positions. And it's we're kind of like tiptoeing back a little bit and like, hey, we need to fill in these gaps that are becoming more apparent yeah. um, as we're growing. And even now, it's just like, wow, we don't, how are we going to pay for these positions? This is not something that we've ever done. But um, we're just trusting that, like, the efficiencies that will be produced by by that will be worth it. Um, yeah. And just if history repeats itself, then it, it's going to work out. <laughs> yeah. So good. What does success look like to you in this business? Um, free time, like a full night's sleep. Wow. Yeah. Um, like going to my kids' soccer games on Saturday morning and like Saturday morning is our crazy day. So we're like executing on the porch drop delivery, um, which is like 250 or 300 orders going out over the triangle. But at the same time, we're trying to get those people out the door everybody's coming in the door for breakfast biscuits, right? That's like our Saturday's the busiest day. And then we also have the three farmer's markets or two farmer's markets. They're going out the door and there's like all these teams all over the place. And it's just crazy, right? Like probably 60 to 70% of our sales happen in five hours on Saturday all over the triangle, you know, like all over the place. Um, so for me, success is me not being a part of that. Like if I, I don't have to show up, I don't, there's nothing I can add to the situation to make it better. Um, I can like stay home and get up with my kids and like make pancakes. Um, yeah, that's, that's what that looks like for me, (laughs) knowing that Saturday morning runs without me. That's, that's a great goal. Yeah. Well, what's next for you? You've mentioned maybe a bigger space and some other things, but anything else on the horizon? Um, I think we're we're always toying around with like what more can we do, um, or what what does our team want to do? Um, right now, we're in this that same the building that we're in downtown um, that we thought was so big is really just jam packed full of things, and it turns out that a building from the late 1800s is probably not the best place to put a bakery um there's all the hardwood floors like really beautiful original floors in there that we're just destroying and um we're having to you know shore up the floors with extra support underneath to hold the flour and the machines in place and um we need to get out of there so we're trying to figure that out Um, (laughs) we we would love to like use that space as a bakery storefront but we can't keep producing in there. Got it. Um, so we're looking for like a, pro- a production facility kind okay. of to to move into to allow our team like some breathing room <laughs> a little bit and to help us get better organized. Um, and that's been a real challenge to find that, wanting to stay in Oxford and find that. Because in the meantime, um, we feel like we we've added a lot of value to the downtown properties and like downtown is like a place to come. Um, there's a brewery that opened downtown around the same time that we opened 
and a couple other places have like since popped up and now we're like priced out of that so if we wanted to buy a, a space downtown well we can't afford that now because <laughs> it's, yeah. it's like the property values have increased yeah. um, which is great right but it's uh it makes it harder for local people to get involved um yeah so i guess it's like a double-edged sword in that regard um but we w- we hope that we can find something close by that'll keep us involved here um we always we we're open for dinner service right now um but we were always just kind of like playing around should should we go back to like doing those pop-up dinners that were really fun or um always just like taking the temperature of our team and seeing like what people have the appetite to do and what they don't have the appetite to do and um trying to figure that out but at the moment for us we we're looking for space um not just to expand the business but just really to to be better organized and more efficient and maybe get some pieces of equipment that we need to help us do what we're doing now better um and if growth comes from that then we'll be ready so good well, how do we follow along with everything that you have going on and, and watch watch all this come together yeah. in the future? Uh, well, we still we have a mailing list that goes out every Sunday, um, and it tells you what we're offering that week, but it also kind of – we talk about our business a lot and, like, what we're up to, what we're doing, struggles that we're <laughs> dealing with. Um, it's been a great outlet for me to be able to, like, communicate with my town but also, like, my customers far and wide. Um so you can always follow along on that. On our website, you can sign up for the email. Uh, our website's strongarmbaking.com, and I think there's somewhere like a stay in touch or on the porch drop order page, you can sign up for the emails there. Um, and that's just a great – you can always just delete the email and trash it, but if you want, it's in your inbox, and you can check it out. <laughs> um, and then we're on social media, you know, on Instagram and less so on Facebook, but okay. – um, you know, here and there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll link to that in the show notes so you all can follow along. Julia, thanks for being on the podcast. You're such an inspiration. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Yeah. (laughs) Well, this is our first interview in North Carolina and it did not disappoint. I loved hearing how this business has grown through all the stages and just how innovative and adaptive Julia and Thomas have been as they have sought to best serve their community throughout this growth. For those of you listening who have a dream burning inside of you to start a side hustle or a brick and mortar business like Julia has done, and just listening to this stir something in your soul, I believe those dreams are in your heart for a reason. I've created the Small Town Dreamer Discovery Course to help you explore those dreams a little more and see if they could actually become a reality for you. Go to ruralrevival.co slash dreamer course for more info. A year or even a month from now, you'll be so glad you did. Huge thanks to Julia for being on the podcast and thanks to you for tuning in. Have a great day, everybody.